Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. We are, uh, we're starting a, a, a five-part series today called My Amazing Relationships. And uh, it's, uh, you look at it and, you know, do you describe your relationships that way? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes, right, maybe one, at the, you know, it's hard to get them going all in the same directions. But one thing's for sure is that relationships are the, are the most important thing in life. They are the most important thing uh, of all of life because relationships, when it's all said and done, relationships are the only thing that last, right? Uh, they're the only thing that for all of eternity that will still be there. Uh, and so uh, humans are designed in God's image. Uh, it says in Genesis, and we're God's image, he says, let us create man and woman in our image. Well, who's he talking to? Right? Well, he's, it's, God is a community. He's one God, but he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like we sang today, right? We sang about Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we are made in that image, which that's a perfect community. The community of God knows each other and works together, and it's perfect, amazing relationships within community. So you look at that. Then you also look at the Ten Commandments, right, uh, given by God to his people, Israel. The first five uh, commandments have to do with what? Our relationship with God, our vertical relationship. The last five commandments have to do with our horizontal relationships, our relationships with other people. And so when you look at that, you say, okay, when God told his people, let me break this down for you, a list of 10 most important things, right? I mean, make it real simple. It's about relationships. And then in the New Testament, somebody came to Jesus and he tried to test Jesus and he says, Jesus, what are the most important commandments of God? And what does Jesus do? He summarizes the 10 commandments even further. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love people. So what's the problem though? The problem is, is that God designed us for a relationship and God's list of 10 speaks clearly. God's list of two speaks clearly, but there's, our relationships aren't that way, right? There's a relationship gap. Uh, we, we spent some time in the UK, um, early 2000s or so, and and in that time, you'd go to the underground and uh, they would have this signs everywhere that says, mind the gap, right? And it was the gap in between where you were standing on the platform and when the, 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 you know, the, the, the subway train would come. And it's important to mind the gap when it comes to relationships. Otherwise, we can go throughout life and just settle in and settle. Like, you know, maybe you've done that in a relationship today. And that's why we're going to address this over the next five weeks is because I think that with relationships, a lot of times we, we just settle into them. So I like what author Tom Holliday writes. He wrote this book, The Relationship Principles of Jesus. This is what he says. He says, how do we bridge the relationship gap? The gap between what we hope for and desire and what we actually experience on one side of the gap is the reality of failed marriages, absent parents, rebellious children, disloyal friends, and gossiping churches. I'm not talking, just relax, not pointing fingers. So on the other side of this gap, place the words of Jesus. 
A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, let me say this. Uh, You know, whether online or here in the building, you may not be a Christian yet. You may be just checking out Jesus and curious about Jesus, and, and, and that's great. This is a great message series for anybody. I will say, though, my approach is, is speaking to the, the Christian. You can apply the principles here, but there's the, the call here has to do with the Christian. And this is what I mean, is that what does this verse say? Well, it says, uh, love one another as I have loved you. So the whole concept is, is that when we look at relationships, we are trying to do something that we're not capable of doing in the fallen world. That's the problem with the world, is that we're not capable of doing it because the relationship with God has been severed. And so when we try to approach one another, we can't do it. So my whole approach is, and what I'm doubling down on, is is that the key to amazing relationships is first receiving the love of God over and over and over again. More and more and more receiving God's love. And then what Jesus says is then take that love and love one another. So that's our theme verse for the series. So Jesus says to his followers, past, present, and future, he says, your mission in life is to receive my love and then take it and love everybody else with that love. Not with your love, but with the love that you receive. And so in response, though, you may be thinking, okay, Cody, wait a minute. I'm understanding that I have a responsibility here in relationships, but she, or but he, or they, they do this, or they won't do this. And, and I'll tell you what I've told my kids since they were little with their brothers. But he, well, that's why I did it. It's like, you can't control what other people do. You just can't. I've tried. I try. You can't control what other people do. You can only control how you react to other people. And the way you react is how you've prepared yourself. And that's what this series is all about. Preparing yourself by receiving the love of God and then trying to take that love into the different relationships that we'll be talking about. So as a Christian, you're uniquely positioned to transform the world. I mean, don't get like a complex or anything, you know, don't get like, you know, overboard here, but literally like the problems that you see, the news and everything else that's going on in the world and the problems you see in your neighborhood and your workplace and school place and in all those things, problems you see in your family. As a Christian, you uniquely are positioned to transform the world simply because of that one thing is that you have and you are receiving the love of Jesus Christ. Because all of history turns on that hinge, doesn't it? Even our calendars turned at the coming of Jesus Christ. So remember, our call is to love others with the love that we've received from Jesus. So the other part of the recipe um, of everything, as we talk about these principles that I want you to know over and again, is that receive his love. Like, even if you don't do any of the other things during this five weeks, begin to receive his love more. It'll be different. And when I'm, when I'm, I try to do this. I don't always, but first thing in the morning when I wake up, you know, is I try, like when I sit up, I'm just like, Lord, I receive your love today. 
I receive your love today. Boy, what a difference when I start out thinking that day, that during the day. John 13, 34, again, is our theme verse. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Let's welcome God's presence and let's, let's just pray for the series together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence here today. Thank you that you've already worked in our hearts and moved in us and we're grateful for that, God. But we, we want to recognize our need for you. We want to recognize our, our, um, our need for you and our relationships, God. We need your help, Lord. We need your help. We don't want to put any appearances, God, that we're experts when it comes to relationship. You're the expert, Lord. You're the expert, Lord. And so would you show us, Jesus? Would you lead us? Would you invade our relationships? Just as we go into this, just whatever relationship is most strained, we'll probably talk about it over the next five weeks. Just ask, say, Lord, transform this relationship. Transform and bring them in that person too or those people. Just ask them. Invite them into it. Yeah, we surrender to you, Lord. Amen. Okay. All right. So, there we go. All right. So, today, we're starting with friendship. Okay. We're doing marriage next week. Okay. It's going to be good stuff. It's going to be good. No fear. Enjoy. But we're starting with friendship, and it's so important. You know, friendship is something that's available to everybody. Friendship is not something that, you know, you're disqualified by gender or race or, or um, you know, social status. And you're not, uh, friendship is available to everybody. Friendship was created by God, and uh, he, he created, you know, people to be in friendship, created with him, people to be in friendship with one another. Friendship is wonderful, right? I mean, when you're, when you're little kids, what do you want? You want a friend. Right? When you're a parent, your kids go and they go to school or they're playing, they, oh, they have a friend. You know, it's so great. You know, my, one of my sons, we were flying, when we lived in Colorado, we were flying from San Diego to, to Colorado and, and kids seem to make friends so much easier than adults a lot of times. And so one of my sons, he, he ended up sitting with this other boy that was on the flight by himself and, and they started talking. And by the end of the trip, they knew each other. They're fast friends. He knew what was going on. And he's like, he'd yell at us, like we're three, four rows up Hey, his name's Johnny. Awesome, son. Great. We're having a good time together, Dad. You know, yelling across the thing. And then, and then he's like, he's going to visit his grandpa. His grandpa's not well. He's sick. I prayed for him. <laughs> and then near the end of the flight, you're not going to believe this. He's flying into the same airport as us right now, <laughs> right? But in that moment, there, there was friendship, how, how quick it happened. But the most difficult thing about friendship is so many people have different definitions of friendship, right? You ever have that moment where you're like, huh, I thought we were friends, right? You're like building this thing, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, we're, 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 we're like something else, 
Well, the Greek philosopher Aristotle classified friendships into three categories. And I think it's really good. Uh, He classified them into the useful, the pleasant, and the good. And this is what he said about it. He said, useful and pleasant friendships, which have value, though transient, will dissolve as usefulness and pleasantness diminishes or disappears. It is only in the good that people find in mutual affection and regard can establish a permanent and trustworthy relationship that manifests itself by unselfishly and genuinely seeking the other's best. So the type of friendship we're talking about today is the good, right? The the relationships that we find out, oh, I thought we were friends was the pleasant or the useful. Like, oh, this wasn't wrapped around like really mutual good. It was just wrapped around this purpose or these things. And then you find out, I guess... I guess we're not friends, right? So Proverbs 18, 24 says, a person of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So what is this saying? Well, there's different versions of it. Like the New Living Translation, which is what we typically use for verses, talks about like a person you know, with, with brutal friends, we'll, you know, I'm paraphrasing, we'll, you know, they'll get harmed by those friends. That, you know, there's a friend closer than a brother. Um, I like this version because a person that has many com- companions, it's like somebody collecting people, right? In other words, you have useful and pleasant friends or relationships, they're companions, and you'll come to ruin. Well, why is it saying that? It's because, it's because you're not really being a friend, it's okay to have companions and it's okay to have relationships built upon other things than true friendship. In other words, you're doing a purpose or you're, you're serving or you're giving or you're receiving and those things, but that's not friendship. See, the hard thing is, is to have a friend, you have to be a friend. And you say, brilliant, Cody, brilliant. But, but listen though, seriously, we lead with so many other things than true friendship because of our insecurities, because we don't want to get hurt, because we, we don't want to look silly, or, or what if they don't really want to be my friend in, in, in those things? And so there's so many different things that, that come up, and so it's, it's risk, and it's, it's vulnerable, and so we need meaningful, true, and good relationships, but that means that we have to decide to be a friend, right? Like, like for me, as, as a pastor, for Michelle and I, like, um, we've, we've, I've been a pastor since my early 20s, and so close to 25 years, and Michelle's been doing this about, about the same time, even longer, and, and the hardest thing is, is for us is, is, is which hat are we wearing? Are we wearing a hat? Are we just the pastors? Are we, like, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult because it's like, wait, am I, am I in my role to, to be a pastor or leader? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I a true friend or those things? And guess what, though? It's no different for you. Because whatever you do, whatever you're good at, however you work or serve or whatever, like it's difficult for you too because you have to get to the real you. Uh, there's a book called In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nowen, and uh, he, um, he served at Notre Dame, and, and or he was on uh, like uh, teaching staff at Notre Dame and in Harvard, and just very impressive guy, he's a Catholic priest, and then the Lord told him to go and be a part of uh, a community of, um, of, of adults uh, that, I, forgive me if I don't say the current correct term, but um, that were uh, mentally handicapped. 
Um, and, and so he went amongst them and he writes in the book, he says, he says, the thing that struck me first and foremost is that my degrees and my experience and all the things that I knew, like they couldn't even read his books is what he's saying. He had all kinds of books. And he says, what struck me is that everything that I had done on the outside, all the accomplishments, all the things they didn't care about or to know about whatsoever. And so it was this awkward thing where he had to decide to be like, who am I really? It wasn't about what he did or what he'd accomplish amongst these people. And so what Jesus tells us is he tells us in John chapter 15, which is our passage for today, John chapter 15, verse 12, this is what he says. He tells us to love the same way as him. And so how do you be a friend? He says, John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. So love each other. So agapao is, comes from agape, which you've probably heard before or maybe have heard, which is agape is unconditional love, right? It's, it's the God type love. It's the Jesus type love. It's the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, would have everlasting life. It's, it's the type of love that says, that says, even though you haven't done this or even though you've done this, I just love you perfectly. It's the God type of love. And so it comes from that root. And Jesus says, love each other unconditionally and perfectly. He's speaking to his disciples. And so we can process right away and we can say, well, God, how, uh, how has Jesus loved me? But he's speaking to his disciples. So he walked with them for three years at this point. This is very close to his, his death and then his resurrection. He had dinner with them. He washed their feet. He's talking to them at the Last Supper and he's sharing these things with them. And he says to them, love each other in the way that I've loved you. And so what would they have referenced? What would they have thought of when they talked about how he loved them? He would have thought of, they would have thought of friendship. That wasn't the same like a lot of rabbis. There was no expectation that disciples would be friends with the rabbi. It was more of a, a, a very kind of stern relationship. You will become like me and do these things, but there wasn't an expectation of friendship. But they would have thought of friendship when it came to Jesus. They would have thought of the acceptance that he had for them. They would have thought the, of the encouragement that he, that he gave to them. They would have thought of the authenticity. Like they knew who Jesus was. He was fully present, fully himself, and he loved them all. And they saw him love other people, cross all sorts of social bounds to love all people. They would think of the challenge that he gave them to challenge them to be better. They would think of the integrity that he had, that his yes was yes and his no was no. They would think of the faithfulness that he had to them, the loyalty and the love that he had to them. They would have probably thought of all of these moments. Oh, wow. I don't know. You want me to love other people like that? And then in verse 13, Jesus says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. So Jesus stretches their understanding of this love even further. They had all these references, real life references of how he loved them and how he's just so real. And now he goes into like, hey, let me blow your mind. Let me talk about what I'm going to do next. I'm going to lay down my life for my friends. Incredible. 
So friendship with Jesus, though, as we see here in verse 14, is dependent on doing what he commands. So, right? Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. So obedience. So for Jesus, Jesus says obedience is what makes you his friend. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Well, what's his command? Well, we read in verse 12, his command is to love one another. And so here's the deal. Um, if you want Jesus's love, Jesus's friendship, then you hop in the river. We used to take uh, high school students canoeing down the Colorado River from Arizona, and we'd start at a certain point and go, and uh, kind of fun. We'd camp out and stuff, but you knew when you were in the river when you weren't. So the person that wants to be the friend of Jesus is the one that says, I'm going to receive all your love, and I'm going to give all your love. And here's the thing. If you're just receiving love, and you get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, but the love isn't flowing out, you stink. You stink, right? We've all been that person or we've seen that person. We've been there, right? What happens with, with, with stagnant water? If it doesn't flow out, it, it stinks and it becomes murky and, and, and right? And, and you, like in the ponds around here, you see algae and all kinds of stuff. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't stay healthy. And so what he's saying is he's saying, look, if you want to be my friends, then you've got to receive love and give love. Because that's where Jesus is at, is giving love to other people. And obedience, by the way, is a joining together with Jesus. It's joining together with him. It's, it's a being with him. It's, it's coming up next to him in being with him. The word is used all throughout the New Testament differently, sometimes for obedience and sometimes for two things coming together. It's a doing and so Jesus says, look, I'm showing you how great my love is and I want to be friends with you. And so hop in. And in the midst of that, you'll love other people as well. And so in verse 15, we also see that Jesus says that friendship and life with him is about knowing and being known. So in verse 15, it says, I no longer call you slaves or servants, doulos, because a master doesn't confide in his slave or servant. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. So here's what's going on. Jesus is modeling the choice to be known, right? Isn't that the hard thing? I explained to you my struggle. I explained to you, um, uh, this, you know, the struggle of the author that I talked about. And, but then you have yours too, Right? Like, do I lead with my gifts and my abilities and what I can do? And then there's this facade and no one really knows the real me? Or do I decide to be known? Look what Jesus says. He, he says, he says um, because a master doesn't confide in his slaves, he's saying that he has done that. He's confided with them. He's shared with them. He's, he's let them know who he is. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. He's, he's opened up. He's like vulnerable with his disciples. This, what's hard is with the New Testament and the Old Testament is that we look at it and we think that it has to do with doing religion. No, this is just real life. This is real relationships, right? Think about a guy and he's got his friends and he's like, hey man, I haven't held anything back from you. Even though I'm like, it's the prince of the land, the king, and he's talking and he's with the other people and he's like, hey, listen, uh, even though I'm king, like, I don't have any secrets from you. Like, this is me. 
And then he says, and listen, I even share with you the things that my dad and I talk about. Like everything that my dad talks about and shares with me, I share it with you. There's not even any facade there, right? And the New Testament says that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. We don't have to wonder. And then so knowing another person is a great honor and responsibility. I mean, that's what's going on on a daily basis, you guys, is that this struggle of deciding to be known and deciding to know others and and to care. I mean, you know it. You know when you're like, wow, I really know this person. You know, in other words, like, that's real. Or all of a sudden you share something and all of a sudden you're like, okay, didn't mean to share that. But what's the fear of that, right? It's the fear of looking bad or it's the fear of people thinking that we don't have it all together, right? Which is all the hidden stuff. It goes back to the fall, right? Because Adam and Eve, the first friends of God and friends of each other, they made some bad choices, sort of, you know, just affected all humanity for all time and everything else. But we would have done the same thing, right? Because we did and we have. But what did they do? right? They experience shame. They process differently. And their first, their first sin, yes, they chose the apple, but their, their first sin in the follow-up and consequence was is that they decided to not be known anymore. They hid from the Lord as he walked in the cool of the day in the, in the, in the garden. They hid. And God said, where are you? He knew where they were, but he wanted to point out to them, you're hiding. And what did they do? They tried to cover their nakedness up because they didn't want to be known. And so what did God do? Well, God took an animal and then with the skin of that animal, then they covered themselves up with that. Do you see how hiding brings death? Do you see ultimately how there had to be a payment for us hiding in the shame and keeping ourselves from one another. And yet we're so good at it. And it still brings death. It still brings separation. It still brings that because we play games and we hide. And you say, Cody, but I've been hurt. Me too. Me too. But if you want true friendship, if you truly want to be a friend, then you, you have to open up. You've got to know and be known. So John 15, 16, it says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. So I chose you, I appointed you, the Father will give you using my name. Jesus is modeling the choice to know another person. Like he's, he's just showing, like it's a choice. He chose his disciples to be with him and to be a part, and there's all kinds of theological reasons and all sorts of practical reasons and Old and New Testament. I get it. But he chose to be in relationship with them because he wanted to know them and he was all in. And then lastly, he says, this is my command, love one another. So he says, if you want to be my friends, you'll obey my command. What's his command? To love one another to love one another. That's actually our superpower as Christians. 
Yeah. You, you guys are so talented in here. There's so many abilities. I mean, we could probably run a small country with, with all the abilities in here and in just all the gifts and all sorts of stuff, all sorts of things. But um, in the intellect and the understanding of real world and practical world and in intellectual world and all sorts of things and philosophy and all sorts, I mean, really, you guys are amazing. But what will truly change the world is your love for one another. What will truly change Kansas City, what will truly change uh, Piper, Baser, Edwardsville, Leavenworth, Parkville, Kansas City, the whole area, is, is by loving one another. History doesn't give us any other roadmap besides that. Christians have, have never transformed their surroundings by any other tactics or means than just loving. Christians have always transformed all of society. The, the, the original world in the first few hundred years was transformed because people said, do you see how they love one another? And Jesus said that. He says, he says people will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Part of it was like the way that they would care for the dead. Part of it was that they would serve the poor. They would love one another, that they would go above and beyond. And you can't do that without being known in deciding to know others. You know, as, as I looked at, like studied through this, there's this idea, you know, it's like there's real Cody, what you're really talking about is spiritual friendship, then there's friendship. Bull jive. Everything's spiritual. Everything's sacred. There's no spiritual and then non-spiritual. You know, look. A strand of three cores is not easily broken, it says in the Old Testament. It talks about how going from one to two is good. Because when you have two, you can help each other up and you can serve one another and you're not alone. But then it says, add the three into it. And so if you want amazing friendships, have God in the mix of it. Which means that, like we tell our boys, like, look, if you have a friend, be friends with them. But if that friend is drawing you away from Jesus, you check yourself. So you make sure that Jesus is right in the midst of that, Right? It's like the couple at the dance. Look, you, no, you dance like this. I don't have a daughter, but you know, it's like, I would say, no, across the room, farther, farther. You want to dance at the dance? Go across there. Remember, Jesus is right in between you, okay? With your friendships, put Jesus right in the middle and you say, well, you tell me to preach to all my friends that don't know. No, listen, you talk about what you love. So if you love Jesus, why wouldn't you talk about Jesus with your friends. So put Jesus right in the midst, middle of your relationships. And then two, decide to be authentic, you guys. Like decide to be authentic. Don't play games. Don't collect people. Love authentically. And I know it's hard. It's terribly awkward. It is like a middle school dance, like trying to be friends. Because one person's like, you know, stepping on, I, I really, I don't have any friends. I want to be a friend. And you're like, I got like 12 friends. Close friends. But be an authentic person. And so that know and be known, decide, like, who am I going to do that with? Because our social structures are, we need, like a, we need a, a larger group 
to be a part of. And then we needed like a smaller group, like 15 to 20. And then we need like a group of like eight to 10 or so. And then out of that eight to 10 or so, we get the one or two that we really share our hearts with. And that's what I'm talking about. And the key is, if you're going to be an authentic person with all of those groups, be an authentic person in all of that, then guess what? You probably will end up with one or two people that you can really share your heart with, you can really live life with, you can really have the good with. But if all of that other stuff is falsehood and it's all just kind of stuff and it's just like you're playing a game and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're just like leading with your abilities and what you do and all those things, then you probably won't get to that true relationship. And so it, it, that's the key. And that's what we see with Jesus. And so as we, as we close, um, I want to circle back around because, because I said, like, you know, Jesus shows us how to do friendships. John Wesley, um, looking back at his conversion, um, you know, he said later years, he described it as a time when he exchanged the faith of a servant for the faith of a son. And so Jesus says that right here. He says, he says, say, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And Wesley took that as a son, son as a friend. And so I, I felt like when I read that, as I looked at this, I said, you know what? There, some of us here, today's the day. Today's the day. Because, you know, a servant views things differently than a son. And, and there's some here that like you approach Jesus like a servant and it's kind of like a business relationship, but what if you approach him as a son? What if you approach him as a friend where you were going to know and be known? Like what if it, what if it wasn't like this arrangement and okay, he, you'll do what you do and he does what he does. But like, what if, what if like your heart was fully engaged with him? What if it wasn't a list anymore, but it, it was a person? And when God is a person to you, watch out. It's fun. Because people are wild. People are real. People can offend you. And people can love you. I mean, that's kind of the awkward thing, right? Like with, with, a, with, a, with a love interest or a friend interest, like certain people are more comfortable saying I love you sooner than others, right? And you get that? Yeah, I love you, I love you. And guys say, I love you, man, right? And it's that, well, what do I do? What do I do if I'm not comfortable? What do I do? And that's how I was. That's, that's kind of how I am, you know? Coming in at 15 and, I mean, the, Quite honestly, I think that's why I, partly why I became a pastor, I never wanted to be, but I'm just like, gosh, I just love your people, Lord. Because when I came in at 15, they, they would hug me and tell me that they love me, and I, I didn't have that. Came from a broken home, and I was just wandering around, and all of a sudden, they just did that. I was terribly uncomfortable with it. Still am, sometimes. But just that love. And so today, maybe that's you. Just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm ready to be a son. I'm ready to be a daughter. 
Show me what that's like. And I'm ready to be a friend. You know, as you process today, you may have thought of friend relationships that you need to heal up. You may have thought of relationships that you didn't honor the Lord in. You know, they were more using people or they were more about pleasantness instead of, you know, reality, right? I mean, most of us, there's a litter of friends throughout life. The longer you're friends with somebody, the harder it is because people change, people struggle, people make mistakes. And so ask God fully into all of your friendships and ask him to show you what to do. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.